You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight we travel back to 1999, the year of Ghost Dog Days. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Adam whatever fucking cliche, biblical slash action name I can come up with, Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani and I study the way of the samurai. Good for you. I'm a real weeb, as the kids say. And uh, joining us for this edition of Double Edge, Double Bill, one of many hosts of The Horror Returns. He has returned here for us for the second time, Mr. Lance Langford. Lance, how you doing? Yeah, doing great, guys. Thanks for the invite. Uh, Sorry, but computer picked uh, tonight to shit the bed right when we were supposed to record. I would expect nothing less from you, Lance. (laughs) Well, uh, Lance, you've come on for a monumentous episode uh, for a lot of reasons, Um, but uh, we're going to start out here before we even get into our topic uh, by uh, welcoming uh, some people who might be new listeners and explaining some things to some old listeners, because, uh, Adam, when we started this podcast, you know, about a year and a half ago or so, uh, we started as lone rebels, renegades, as it were. Yes. Uh, Because we didn't have any kind of network attached, we just started on our own, and from there, uh, we have, you know, uh, grown in our own way, but, uh, you know, it's six to eight episodes in now, Adam. We've been doing this for a while, and maybe uh, we figured it's time to settle down and maybe join up with a podcast network. I mean, it's something uh, myself and your mother talked about a lot, Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) No, yes, Thomas, we're joining a network. We, We talked about doing it from the beginning. We said if we ever got a little bit of a following, maybe we would really go for it. And, uh, you know, we found one that I think uh, suits all of our needs. Yes, uh, we are proud to announce on this episode, we are joining the ESO Podcast Network. So, for any of you old fans, don't worry. The show's not changing too much, because, for one thing, this feed will still exist. If you just want to follow us and all of our stuff here, this feed from Podbean will still be available. And you can just follow us here, but... Uh, it also encourages uh, some new people who are on the ESO feed that follow that, where all of their various podcasts uh, post new episodes every week. Um, it encourages uh, some new fans to potentially hop on and uh, start listening to us and start participating in our feedbacks and all this other stuff. And the only sort of changes we'll be doing format-wise is you may have heard at the beginning of the episode a little um, ad break thing about uh, this is the ESO network. They'll always be there at the beginning now. And then at the end, there's also going to be another one it's slightly small. And in the middle, in between our two movies, we are going to have a small 30-second little uh, shout-out, a little um, piece of audio for another ESO 
network podcast. Cross-promotion, if you will. Yes, of course, and you'll, you might hear us on other ESO networks with our little ad that we've recorded as well, but everything else will stay the same about the show, so all the important things will stay the same. Yes. In fact, that was one of our main concerns before joining the network, yes. that we wanted to make sure we could keep doing it the way we're doing it for the most part. We're not, we're not against change, but, you know, I feel what we got works, and the ESO network was totally like, it's your show, keep it the way you like it. Yeah, so, so there's not, we're not going to uh, hunker down on the cursing or anything. Uh, we're not going to. Oh God, no! Fuck no, we're not. <laughs> not at all. No, uh, we're we're still going to be doing that. We're still going to be doing our usual abrasive takes, as it were, uh, as we have in the past. Uh, so, ninety eight percent of the show will be the same. Well, actually, I'd say we go from a hundred percent to like a one oh one. We just added one percent extra. You know what? That's a better way of putting it. Yes, that's what ESO Thanks. does for us. Hopefully that check clears. Anyway, <laughs> uh, now we move on to the show uh, proper, because uh, for those of you who might be new from the ESO Network, a welcome, of course, first of all. The basic premise of our show is that at the end of every episode, Adam and I uh, have each two movies of different quality. Adam, last week, had two good movies related to our topic, and I had two bad, and each of us signed numbers between 1 and 10 for those. And then the other person randomly called out a number between 1 and 10, and that's what got us our good and our bad features. So, tonight, in honor of the year 1999, which is celebrating, obviously, 20 years now in the year 2019, um, we are covering our good movie is Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, and our bad movie is End of Days. But before we get to those two movies, we should talk about the monumentous year of 1999. The first time we've ever done a podcast about a year that wasn't the year we were currently in. Because we like doing that midway through the year, talking about, you know, the year, and then at the end, talking about the year overall that we just went through. I'll never forget Hurricane Heist. We will never either. It's one of our favorites. No, lest we forget. I know. You know, I, I'm kind of screwed. I prepared a bunch of material about Prince. Uh-oh. <laughs> our good feature, Purple Rain, our bad feature, Graffiti Bridge, that we're yeah. talking about right here. <laughs> Uh, um, but, but no, uh, 1999, it's been often called, uh, one of the best years in cinema in recent memory. We might want to do this in the future for other years that are very celebrated, like say in 1984, 1976, there's a lot of really good mm-hmm. past years to do for sure. But Lance, you specifically really wanted to come on for this one because you said this may perhaps be your favorite year in movies. Uh, without a doubt, man. Yeah. 1999 is far, far and away my favorite year in movies and my daughter and I would would go to the movies pretty frequently so that probably had something to do with it but I mean just think about some of the stuff that came out um probably the matrix I think is probably my favorite film of that year but I'm remembering uh American Beauty which was a really great performance by uh he who shall not be named anymore (laughs) Uh, watch it (laughs) (laughs) of course course, uh, we had the Blair Witch Project Uh, being John Malkovich was fucking amazing you had Fight Club you had fuck yes (laughs) it's insane the amount of material that came out this was a huge year of movies I still when doing the research on movies to pick for this show I'm like oh my god these are like all my favorite movies it was really difficult. Well, and for yeah. me, I'm, I'm admittingly a bit younger than both you gentlemen, and so I was alive in 1999, of course, but, yeah, but I you was... Were like main... two. I, I, no, I was a bit older. I was uh, pursuing <laughs> connoisseurs of cinema like uh, Tarzan um, at that time, or, um, of course, I, I'm still proud of this. I was one of the few kids in my age group to actually see The Iron Giant in a theater. 
which oh, was wow. infamously God. a bomb at the time, which is mind-boggling because mm-hmm. it's a perfect movie. It's amazing. Yeah, I agree. Um, but even then, that's the thing. Even the sort of quote-unquote low-class kids entertainment was so goddamn good at that in that fucking year. There's so many. Um, there, there's other, of course, less than stellar movies. I, I remember this vividly. I went to the theaters with my father. We were going to see Wild Wild West, which... Oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's, one, that's on the bad side. But um, I remember we went in, and we went to the wrong theater, and I was with, like, one of my younger sisters, and um, we noticed uh, that it wasn't Wild Wild West, because Jason Biggs was there for some reason. We had walked oh, into American no. Pie. <laughs> oh, no. oh, wow. <laughs> oh, and my dad just, like, immediately plucked us to the Wild Wild West <laughs> Probably theater. the right decision. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you know. arguably for at least our delicate sensibilities at the time, maybe the lesser movie, but <laughs> then again, Wild Wild West also has really weird shit in it too that no child should actually see. Yeah, no human should actually see half the shit. I was, in that I was just gonna agree with Lance on that one for the no. first time. Ever. <laughs> that's, that's that's very very true. But um, it's interesting because I was so young, I actually didn't see a lot of these big movies from this year. Until I was older, honestly, because I kind of felt like some of these were like so revered and then eventually so parodied that I just felt like, oh, maybe I've already seen the movie pretty much. Like I didn't see something like The Matrix or Blair Witch or even Sixth Sense until a solid decade or so after they came out. But I still love those movies. They're still great, phenomenal movies. Well, that I mean that, but that happens every generation, you know. Like I'm watching, you know, movies from '84, '85, '86. In my teens, you know, and I was born in 83 and I'm watching those movies and you just grow to love them and appreciate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I think that it happens. To, like Lance, when you were like in your 10s to relate to us, I mean, like silent movies and things <laughs> mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, silent <laughs> like, movies. Sure. A lot yeah, of Charlie yeah, Chaplin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, before the talkies came out, as you would say. <laughs> yeah, same concept. I mean, Lance was in the audience where the train came by the stage like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He was also on the Titanic. Um, yeah. Well, we actually had to flip the pages really fast, you know, to watch the movie when I was really young. Right, right. Shane Reedy never really took hold for you. Um, <laughs> and I'm done with Lancer tonight. That's it. I'm oh, you out. better not be. Uh, no, we we still right. got a lot more show to go. So let's go ahead and jump into our specific movies. So first off, we'll start with Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Every day without fail, one should consider himself as dead. They're gonna whack you, Ghost Dog. If they don't find you, they're gonna whack me instead. If a samurai's head were to be suddenly cut off, he should still be able to perform one more action with certainty. Ghost Dog. Can I hear it? So, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai uh, came out, technically, um, its first screening was at Cannes on May 18th, 1999. We kind of talked about this pre-show that it kind of arguably breaks the rules because it came out in a lot of places like Belgium and Japan and a lot of like foreign territories in 1999. Didn't come out in the U.S. until like March of 2000, uh, but we decided to say fuck it. Um, we... What's a couple months? Right, and we really wanted to talk about Ghost Dog for a lot of reasons. It's very appropriate even thematically for 1999, but before we get into any of that, Adam, this was your choice, and I know you're a pretty big fan of this movie, correct? I am an absolute monster fan of this movie. This is one of those movies that I will recommend to anyone who hasn't seen it. 
even though I've recommended to several people who I know will not like it. I mean, you just got to try it. Just give it a shot. It's easily Jim Jarmusch's best movie, in my opinion. And I think it's just fantastic all around. Acting. So I love the fucking soundtrack. I love the narration. Um, I love the crazy characters. I love Forrest Whitaker's cute little eye. I love just everything about this movie. And to the point where I went and bought the Hagakori, the book he reads in it, just so I could read it. I, I just, I love this movie. Right, and it's one of those that isn't often talked about in terms of 1999 because Whatever. we mentioned it. But also at the same time, it's not one that's really discussed amongst like the bigger ones that were sort of either famous at the time or have become more famous now. This one's a bit more obscure to the point where I want to ask Lance, had you seen this before? This was a first time watch for me. Okay. And what did you think of Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai? <laughs> There's one Jim Jarmusch movie that I really, really like, and that's the, uh, the vampire movie he did, Only Lovers Left Alive. Mm hmm. And I think that might have had more to do with Tom Hiddleston's performance in it and Tilda Swinton. But uh, I did see the – you guys seen the new one, The Dead Don't Die? No, I have not. No. Yeah, I found it to be kind of middle of the road. It, a lot of people – it was pretty divisive. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people hated it. I, I, I'm not a huge fan. I, I, I got to tell you, Adam, and maybe maybe it's just because it was the first viewing. This I could definitely see where this might be a little bit more of a cult movie. I don't know, man. Jarmusch to me just seems – a little bit pretentious man and just a little bit slow for me it was interesting i think the way that they kind of portrayed him as sort of like a fish out of water where you had the the typical you know mafia that you would see in the the normal movies and then he's kind of like a completely different type of character but i don't know man it just uh it really didn't grab me the way i was i was hoping it would you know let me uh just real quick thomas i don't mean to jump on top of you here but uh yeah, I, I think one of the things, the reason this movie really grabbed me at the beginning, I, A, I was 18 when I saw it, uh, so it was like right up my alley, it was so cool, and you know, a guy out of water who, when you're 18, feels like you belong anywhere, and I was really, really, really into hip-hop at the time. I still am, but this movie just oozes New York hip-hop, too, mm-hmm. and I think that really made me connect to it as well. It was very interesting, the fact that his... Uh... His best friend, the one guy he could confide in, could speak only French, and he right. could speak only English. And like this guy would go into a long French diatribe, and he would just look at him and go, "Mm, mm-hmm, mm." <laughs> it's like they understood each other without having to really communicate through language. And I thought that was a really awesome concept. Yeah, I, I really like all of that as well. And I saw this like a when I was in college, and I remember just hearing a lot about it. And immediately, I'm not a someone who's seen a lot of Jarmusch movies. I guess I'm not a fan just in terms of, I've only seen about three. I've seen Only Lovers Left Alive, which I do love. And also, before I even rewatched Ghost Dog, I did watch, uh, for the first time, Down by Law, which is his movie that has, um, it's Tom Waits, uh, John Laurie, and Roberto Benigni are all guys who are, like, in New Orleans, and they all end up getting arrested in, in the same cell, and they have a prison break from there. Okay. It's an interesting movie, and I think, based on at least those three and what I've heard about other Jarmusch movies, what's so interesting about this guy is I think he's a guy that likes genre, but his big instinct is, let me strip a lot of the artifice away from genre and make this more about, like, a hangout movie. Which is what I really dig, especially about Ghost Dog, because even, like, Lance, you mentioned, like, the mobsters in this, which, if you haven't seen this movie before, very basically, it's uh, the story of Ghost Dog is played by Forrest Whitaker, He's this guy who's kind of a hobo, but lives, like, with in this apartment that looks abandoned and is, like, taking care of pigeons. And he has studied 
this samurai book and studies the way of it, and everyone just thinks of him as some weird, interesting, eccentric person in the town, and um, this random urban landscape, which they never name, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah it's New York. I mean, it's New York technically, but it was shot in Jersey, and even, like, they never mention the state, the actual place by name, and I love, if you see, like, little signs and, like, license plates, it says just, the industrial state, or the highway oh, wow. state. So they <laughs> even, like, made fake little bits, just to, like, really get you in the fact of, like, oh, this is, this is just, like, a typical urban environment. But Ghost Dog also has this, um, sort of retainer, this person he respects, who was this mobster that saved him when he was a kid, and he also does some jobs for this guy about killing some other mobsters. And he does one job where he ends up letting a girl go, but she ends up getting lost on a bus. And now the mob is after him. And what I really love is the fact that this mob doesn't actually feel like a typical Goodfellas sort of like romanticized mob. Um, they're all a bunch of old fuck-ups. It's <laughs> weirdos. It's weirdos. Real weirdos who watch cartoons randomly. I love any time you know? they're watching TV, yeah. it's cartoons. That was really weird. <laughs> and the one guy is like really into Flava Flav. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> I love that guy. Flava Flav from Public Enemy? And then he's dancing yeah. to him later. Yeah. I love all that stuff. But that's why I find so interesting is like on its face, if you told me this premise of like, oh, it's this guy who's setting the way of the samurai and he's fighting the mob. It's like, oh man, this is going to be a huge action packed movie. It's not. And I find that so fascinating because it's more just about exploring these characters living their everyday lives, even though their story is something very odd, cinematic in concept. It's them just kind of like awkwardly bumping into each other. I I find it so amusing, but at the same time endearing, especially with Ghost Dog. I think the big thing is, like Jarmusch said from the beginning, like I wrote this with Forrest Whitaker in mind, and I never would have made this movie if he had said no. And you can see why, because no one else could make, like, this kind of a character so endearing. Oh, 100%. 100% agree. No, I couldn't see anybody else playing this role. Lance! Yeah. I don't know. I thought, like I said, I, I think there were certain elements of it that were that were different enough that they caught my attention. I, I will ask you this. You were saying you actually bought the uh, the book, and you were yes. reading through the book where you did the voiceovers in between sections of the movie. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the significance of that? Like, did somebody give him that book when he was young? Because, of course, I, I don't know how spoiler we're getting about him passing on the book. I, I mean, yeah, I think we're going to spoil it, everybody. I just wanted to give at least okay. a basic premise and recommend people see it. But we will be spoiling, especially from here on in. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was going to turn into almost like a Leon the Professional there at the end with the person he handed the book off to. But what what was the significance of that? Was that just something near and dear to him, or did he... Like, was there a backstory to that that I missed or something? I don't think there's a specific backstory, but no. what I like is that I think Jarmusch hints at a lot of what you're talking about just by how the character interacts with, like, the little girl, which I realize she's actually the older niece from the Bernie Mac show. Yep. Blew my fucking mind. Like, oh, shit, that's her. That's great. <laughs> right. You know, the only backstory we get about Ghost Dog is that he was saved by this mobster at one point, this guy who looks like live-action Fat Tony. Like, yes. just if you turned Fat Tony into an actual character 100%. from The Simpsons. He's doing this thing about, like, hey, you know, read this book and tell me what you think about it, all this other stuff. I think that hints at a lot more of just, like, he most likely at some point got this book and it just completely changed his life. And mm-hmm. it's, it's the way that he's lived by because there's no other real influence to have, unfortunately. I think that's the thing is, like, Ghost Dog is sort of this frustrated character who 
like only really clings to the samurai thing because there's nothing else to cling to in his life. Even the one person who he considers like a parent almost with the Louis character, is played by uh, John Tormey, um, is just kind of like weirded out by him. Like, okay, Ghost Dog, I mean, you're cool, but bye. <laughs> like, that's that's what's so interesting. It's endearing. It's sad, but it's also just like something yeah. I I really found myself invested in. And I think he hinted a lot what you're talking about without actually explicitly saying Ghost Dog had a mentor figure who gave him this book it's like it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well i mean he def he definitely had his uh his code that he lived by you know and that's that that was something that you kind of had to respect while all the people around him were kind of like falling victim to the streets or doing whatever they wanted to do he he kind of kept that discipline and he always followed his code which i thought was interesting made him more of an outsider you know Yes, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, but what about what's your interpretation of the the book, Adam, and how that works for Ghost Dog's character here? Well, I mean, I do, I'm sure you guys know it is an actual book. It wasn't created for the movie. It's actual teachings from a um, like a retired samurai, a great samurai who was passing it down to a younger one. Um, and it's it's called the Hagakori. I believe it's called in the shadow of the leaves or something like that no i i t- actually do agree with lance's uh interpretation on too uh, or no i'm sorry yours thomas fuck lance um he uh, <laughs> <laughs> i believe he just found the book or the book came to him however you want to decide whether someone gave it to him the way he had hands it off at the end or he found it in a gutter or in a bookstore or a library whatever and he was just a mixed up alone kid who had no sense of identity and he found it in this book and it's basically to save him and turned him into who he is in every way because there's a good chance that if he wasn't reading the book or starting to adapt to that lifestyle that maybe he would have gotten beaten up and then saved and then became a retainer and basically a Ronin and mm-hmm. had to work for this guy and live by this code. He, I mean, who knows? But yeah, I definitely think the book is of huge significance. And I, I think that's why, you know, you get the, the black screen with the white text on it where they let him do the narration, and the voiceover, which are some of the coolest passages ever. Like you said, Tom, it found him at the right time. The right time in his life, this book came to him, and it's up to your interpretation to figure out how. Right, and I like that it doesn't romanticize also the idea of just like, oh yeah, Ghost Dog's a killer, and this is so badass. Like, there's a great first bit where we get with Ghost Dog of him driving over to do his hit that we see at the beginning of the movie, and it's so nonchalant. It's so just like, I'm taking the freeway, I gotta take this exit, I gotta do this. Like, something anybody would actually fucking do. Uh-huh. But the romanticized thing is like, oh, he's an assassin about to kill a mobster. It's like, no, he's killing some dude who's, like I said, watching cartoons in his fucking boxers. Yeah. Like, it's, it's this really yeah. weird kind of fascinating, almost comedy that's going on throughout this whole movie, where it's like this big cinematic premise is just constantly deflated but in a way that even with like ghost like as you mentioned he lives by this code but also they don't romanticize like oh man he's a super badass not necessarily he's just he's a very sad lonely person that takes some kind of comfort in living by this code and learning the way of the samurai doing all this other stuff but his sacrifice is pretty much completely separated from everybody except for the ice cream man which i do agree lance i love that whole conceit of him being, talking to this guy and how they universally understand each other but without having to, like, actually speak each other's languages. It's this weird, beautiful way of describing just, like, hey, you know, sometimes people just, like, come together and have, like, very similar ways of life and personalities that bump up against each other, and they can be friends even though they don't actually know how to traditionally communicate with each other. I think that's that's another thing. It's like, even though, you know, you said that Jeremy might be a bit pretentious, I don't think he's necessarily trying to impede 
a huge amount of messages in any of his movies, as much as just really examine these characters and just display them for all their warts and all, and then allow the audience to interpret how they feel about mm-hmm. them. And I think that's a lot more interesting than especially some of the other fare we've gotten in the 20 years or so since this movie. Well, I thought it was really cool there at the end how he took care of his friend there, the ice cream guy, left him the hid the cash and stuff for him. It's almost as if he knew he was about to die or something. Oh, there was no question. He knew he was checking out. Yeah, he knew. That's why he didn't load his guns. That's why mm-hmm. nothing. He knew he was going down. I don't know that Jarmusch is necessarily pretentious, too. He's definitely an art house director. I, I would attribute like Jarmusch to like early David Lynch-type work or things like that, where they just make the movies in the way that they want to tell that story. And either you're in it or you're not. I, I mean, it's you got to kind of be on board 100% or else you're not going to you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> you're going to have a sense. bad time <laughs> yep. but yeah I, I think all that works what about some of the the other characters in here Adam what do you think especially of like the ice cream man character and their back and forth I love it and I love when they are trading lines of dialogue you know he's you know, he's probably saying he's gotta go or he's gonna say he's gotta go somewhere and it's like hey I gotta go somewhere like they know exactly what the other one's gonna say mm-hmm. without being able to understand each other at all I love I love the ice cream character I like the little girl a lot I think it sort of humanizes Ghost Dog in maybe a way he's not necessarily comfortable with, but he also sees a lot of himself in her. The, <laughs> I love, love the head of the mafia. I can't think of his name. Henry Silva in that is, I think. Yes, I believe that's Henry Silva. Oh my God, he cracks me up every time. Sounds like an American Indian, like Black Elk. <laughs> like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> no, but my, my favorite is the bit where the one guy reads the pigeon messenger thing, and mm-hmm. he's just like, "What the hell was that? It's the poetry. It's the poetry of war." <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, and when he's eye fucking Tony in the one scene, like, dude, this guy, this guy's terrifying. No, I really like it. Rizzo was fun for the one scene for no reason. But that was fun. Rizzo oh, was in the movie? He's I, the guy I, who walks up to him in the fatigues. In the I one scene. Even, I didn't even catch that, man. Yeah, There's just a random point where Ghost Dog runs into a guy in the street and he's just like, mm-hmm. uh, Ghost Dog, word on, yeah, whatever. And then yeah, Ghost leave. Dog, word is bond. <laughs> word is bond, word is bond, yes, that's exactly what they right. say. Um, but I, I like that too because it almost kind of builds a bit more of a universe where it's like, oh, Riz is just some other random ghost dog type guy <laughs> who just yep. lives here. And Riz, of course, did the soundtrack, which I agree with you, Adam. I love the use of the soundtrack in this movie. Oh, it's so fantastic. Especially because it's like it's a more interesting sort of chiller version of hip hop than you would get in a lot of movies, especially around this time. You use mm-hmm. a lot more flagrant examples. Like, that's the thing the contrast between ghost dog and the mobsters even goes down to the music. Like, mm-hmm. the one guy who likes hip-hop is all about, oh, Flavor Flav, Public Enemy, the big, boisterous stuff. And whenever we see Powdering Ghost Dog... Powdering his asshole. <laughs> powdering his asshole, yes. <laughs> yeah. Me- meanwhile, Ghost Dog is listening to a lot more chill, a lot more relaxed stuff. Yeah, real down-tempo sort of beats, uh, where yes. it's like, you know, he has to put that music in on the way to do what he's going to do. Yeah. Uh, to sort of get him in that headspace and get him in that mode. Because never once do you not feel like, even in, when he storms the house and everything... You never once don't feel that he's not completely in control of his emotions and his actions. Yes. Not once. Um, and I love that scene, too, where he pulls up and he acts like he's the la- uh, the realtor. I am Bob Solo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I get out and stretch my legs and just immediately kills that guy and then just walks in the house and kills everyone in the house. It was just excellent. That's the way of the samurai. Yeah, and I like the fact that also that's a scene that could have easily been, you know, this is the same year as, say, a boondock saints. 
um, uh. which is the most over-the-top, flagrant, stupid fucking movie about <laughs> just, like, people shooting each other. And in this case, it's like you mentioned, Ghost Dog is so relaxed and meditative, whereas mm-hmm. these mobsters, who we've seen, like, shoot other people, they're like, oh, shit! And then they just almost by accident shoot people. Like, yep. I just, I love him just instantly mowing down all these people. And even, like, just walking in and that one guy's just like, it's the bird metal! And then he has a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. That guy. Holy hell, that guy got some lines. Whoa. Yeah, some interesting lines for the movie, for sure. Um, but I just like the fact, once again, he's this, the, all these mobster guys clearly just did this with like, oh, man, we're gonna be, like, you know, mafiosos. We're gonna be the godfather. We're gonna be great. And it's like, they wear fucking trap suits and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, and hang out in, like, the basement of, like, a Chinese food place and stuff. Like, they have nothing. They have no. nothing going for them. Well, they had Ghost Dog working for him for a while. <laughs> the one guy did. Only the one guy did, though. That's true. His retainer. Yes. What What was the significance of of, of killing all the pigeons, man? Like, what, what was that? Because they to knew he had pigeons, or was that supposed well, to turn yeah. him, or what? I mean, it's, it's one of the few things he, they know that he has an attachment to because they previously killed a bunch right. of people who had like pigeon coops on top of their apartments. So mm-hmm. it was just like it's the one thing. It's sending a message. It's horse's head in the bed of this okay. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's pigeons. Um, but I, I think that's that's the thing is they want to like send the message to Ghost Dog that your entire world's crashing down. There's not a lot in this world, but we're gonna fuck ne- it up, and we just did. Never a good decision in movies when they do that stuff. No, yeah, especially like, <laughs> like the low like killer killing no. dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just don't don't do it. Just don't do it. But no, I and I again, Tops, I do agree with what you, a point you made earlier about the action too. The quick couple bursts of action you get in the movie are done really well. They're not flashy. They're not over-romanticized. I mean, he's in there just shooting people. I mean, without question. Like you said, the fat guy watching cartoons puts a piece of tape over the window and shoots him so the window doesn't break. I mean, it's just there's nothing glamorous about that side of his life. In fact, about none of his lifestyle. Except that I, you get the idea that this guy truly doesn't have a hand, has a handle on who he is as a person, and no one else in the movie except maybe the French guy and the little girl have that. They all want to be something they're not. And they're all striving to be these tough guys and these mafiosos and these ultra scary criminals. None of them are real. They're all phony assholes. Even Louis, who is so interesting as a character too, just because he's one of these mobster guys, but he still has some attachment to Ghost Dog. He feels sorry for Ghost Dog, and sort of also kind of annoyed almost about the life debt that he's owed from Ghost mm-hmm. Dog. Like, especially the whole the whole running gag about shooting him in the fucking shoulder is so great. <laughs> he yes. shot me in the exact same place. Yeah, because he doesn't want to fill him full of holes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And it, it is kind of actually... I don't want to say I cried, but I, I... When I first saw this, I was incredibly bummed out at the end of this movie. I got more emotional here than I did the first time watching it. I think this time especially just, it really hurt just because you saw how much like this guy had so little, but what he did with so little, like touched the lives of like the few people that actually got to know him, which we should mention by the way, um, it's Isaac DeBanco is Raymond, the ice cream guy. And it's Camille Winbush is Perlene, the little girl. And I think especially during that sequence, I think a big part of it is their shock at what's going on feels so natural. It has, mm-hmm. like, this admittingly very kind of almost goofy, stilted fight scene where he literally says, it's like the end shootout scene. Stuff like that. I think in lesser hands that could come off as a bit, you know. Much. Much. Maybe to Lance it came off as a bit much <laughs> based on some of his reactions. Yeah, it seemed like it did. It was. I wish this movie had caught me more, and I've definitely got to give it a second viewing, but 
I don't know, man. It just it, it kind of seemed like it was trying to be uh, a, a, li- a little too funny or something like that there at the end. I would more agree if it didn't have a lot of the still emotional context that's going on from there, especially when Ghost Dog even says, just like, can you just one thing for me? Take this book, read it, mm-hmm. and then tell me what you think. Again, at the end of the mm-hmm. movie. Right. I think that means a lot to just how, like, it's, it's so cyclical and how much it means for, like, Ghost Dog to, like, really express the fact that like, he thinks there's an afterlife and that he's going to see this guy again with just handing him a book and doing his usual shtick. And, and like, whether or not okay. Jarmusch drew on the old samurai movies and thing, or even there's a lot of old western vibe to a lot of this, mm-hmm. like even the Kurosawa movie stuff, those movies did constantly have schlocky humor in them as well. There mm-hmm. was always a bit of humor either for levity or to move a story along or just to give the characters more uh, personality. And again, though, the the one character that that really doesn't tend to happen with is the lead character. All the rest are just maniacs for the most part, or they're quirky and weird. So no, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Listen, this movie is definitely not for everyone. I've had a couple, like I said, a couple of people watch it and they're like, uh, okay, that's great. I don't know. The humor never really bothered me in this. I felt it was placed sporadically enough to where it didn't come across forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just I think that I had had such a build up from this movie because I don't think I've ever met a person that in my circles that didn't love this movie. Same thing with Dead Don't Die. I was really expecting like a 10 out of 10 movie or at least like a, a 9 out of 10 movie. And when it was just kind of middle of the road to me, it's like, is there something Jarmusch is saying that I'm just not getting? You know, and that I don't know, man, it's definitely worth a worth a rewatch and uh, no doubt Forrest Whitaker's performance is outstanding and the way he interacts with the ice cream dude is just like for me the highlight of the movie I appreciated the part at the beginning where you know he did kill the dude but he spared the the young woman that was reading the manga or whatever and then he passed that along it was just I don't know man definitely a lot to take in I I, I think I need to rewatch this one well I, I think that might serve as a solid final thought um but um adam what are your final thoughts on ghost dog way of the samurai i've seen this movie i i honestly don't know how many times it's been a lot of times it still holds up for me each viewing this just is one of those movies that just grabs me you know from the beginning to the end and it it always just takes me back to when i first saw it and it it just reminds me of you know i was 18 and the first time i saw it i was like oh my god i didn't know that you know mainstream well not mainstream because it's not really mainstream but Mm-hmm. American movies could be like this, you know, because it was definitely has a foreign sense of sensibility to it as well, even though it's an American filmmaker. Um, and the thing about Jim Jarmusch, I don't think he's ever really trying to tell you something. I don't think he's ever really trying to force something. On. I literally think he is just telling the story he wants to tell, and it's up to you to take your own interpretation out of it. And some people like movies like that. Others don't. I, I got to be honest. There's some movies that do that that I don't like. Um but this one just hits it for me on all accounts. And the fact that a, nobody really talks about this and B force Whitaker didn't get more recognition for his performance. in this is, is really a shame. How close was this released to the last King of Scotland? Didn't that, that come out just several years? I, I think it's like, like four five years. or six four, years. I yeah. think it was like four or five. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause was, wasn't he nominated for best actor in that? And when he won, I think it was best actor. Yeah. Maybe a lot of people saw this movie and I, I don't know. I don't think he really did anything too significant before that. So this might've uh, been Mr. Holland's opus. 
<laughs> okay. Or, I mean, one of my favorites, his debut in Fast Times at Richmond High, where he plays, like, the football asshole. <laughs> Isn't he in Platoon as well? He's in, I, I believe so. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, is that he's that, in Platoon. I think this was the point where he was just, like, a consummate working actor. Like, uh-huh. sort of, like, really coming up. And I, I do agree with Lance. I think this was one that a lot of, especially sort of Hollywood people saw. And we're like, oh, man, mm-hmm. this ghost dog, dude. We gotta get him. Admittingly, like, right after this, he does stuff like Battlefield Earth. Cause, like, oh, it's, no! Which we've covered previously <laughs> on the yeah. show. Um, yeah. But I think he's... Because he spun that off into doing stuff like Last King of Scotland. And then from now, like, even he doesn't appear in as many movies anymore. But I love sure. that he's kind of paying that back. Because now he's producing a lot of, especially, like, young black filmmakers' films. Like, The Dope, which is a really great, like, coming of oh, age movie. Oh, I love that movie. And yeah. then also, um, Sorry to Bother You, which is one of my favorite movies in the last mm-hmm. several years and he he's producing these movies now and i think that's that's so interesting you can tell like that kind of generosity especially makes him so perfect to play somebody like a ghost dog and i saw this like i said several years ago and i really liked it at the time and now i think i've grown to like it even more because especially in the context of 1999 it's interesting because i think this movie is really about people in an environment that is changing rapidly around them and they're old and kind of useless even ghost dog is like completely engrossed in very old ways that don't matter to a modern society and all these mobsters are pretty much the same they're old on their way out on the outs there it's basically it's the last dying breath of two different very outdated concepts of whether it be traditional mafia or the way of the samurai kind of butting heads with each other in a world that doesn't really appreciate either of them and I think that's what's so interesting, especially in context of this particular year, and what makes it so endearing from Ghost Talk's perspective and humorously kind of stupid from the perspective of the mobsters. Um, I think it's what makes it such a unique, interesting movie. It makes me want to see more Jarmouche stuff. I mean, because mm-hmm. I, I, I've got that Criterion streaming service. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, if, if anything else, it, I hope just us discussing it makes more people pursue it. If anything, I would love to be the ghost dog to pass this movie off to somebody and have them, uh, you know, watch it and tell us what you think. Uh, see what you did there. Yeah. God damn it, Thomas. That's why I said, like I said before, it's why you make the big bucks. That was <laughs> so eloquent. <laughs> uh, well, before we get into our next feature, um, it's time for a little podcast ad break for a great ESO show that you can listen to right now. Where comedy and commentary collide. Thunder Talk brings a unique variety show style twist to the fandom podcast genre. We drop music from some of today's hottest up and coming artists. We discuss topics, social and political relevance, and deliver our sideways take on the world at large. If stand up comedy, NPR, the Millennium Falcon, and classic MTV had a baby, it would be Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is part of the ESO network. Find us at thundertalk.org and on all podcasting platforms. All right, and now uh, let's get into our second feature, gentlemen, with Arnold Schwarzenegger in End of Days. December 31st, 1999. The end of a millennium. The beginning of the end. Take it easy. You're the good guys. She's been chosen Chosen for what? The Dark Angel consummates before midnight on New Year's Eve and he unlocks the gate of hell. Ah! How can you expect to defeat me when I am forever and you are just a man? (laughs) So... End of Days uh, came out November 24th, 1999, um, and stars, as we mentioned, Arnold Schwarzenegger. In an interesting time in his career, I think we'll talk more about sort of career context with Schwarzenegger 
on our future episode. Put a pin in that. <laughs> we, 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 who knows? Um, but this was a point in his career where he was... Um, this is post-Batman and Robin, of course. Uh, the late 90s were not the best time. No, he had, he had some problems. Yeah, I mean, in this case, this was uh, in between Batman and Robin and this. Um, he had heart problems, and he had had heart surgery. And this is his first role since that. And admittedly, he you can tell it like he's definitely not quite up to the game, and that's kind of part of the character in this case. Uh, but also, um, it's complete miscasting for him. <laughs> Well, if you go just on the sole fact that nobody who wakes up and drinks and eats what he supposedly eats daily or however you want to look at it still has a body like that and is still <laughs> that spry and active and accurate with any weapon put in oh, his Oh, come hands. on, man. When God. he threw the pizza into the into the blender, man, that kicked Well, the one he picked up off the floor, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. well, he had some Along with, what, Pepto-Bismol, the pills, and... Old beer. Al- and old beer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, God. Right after the big dramatic scene of him pulling out his gun, just like, I might shoot myself. I'll do it. It's like, I don't believe he you was know. doing that, though. Wow. The walls are closing in on me. It's too much. I can't handle it. No, no. That's the problem is that, like, I don't believe this guy would, like you mentioned, like, behave the way he does or have, like, all these substance abuse problems because he still looks like mm-hmm. Arnold, instead of, like, working out seven days a week, he only does, like, five days a week. And he has, like, right, one yeah. cheat meal on the weekend. Like, that's what he looks yeah, like now. Yeah, some stubble out. <laughs> gruesome stubble out exactly he doesn't yeah. look that different from super buff Schwarzenegger. but we're getting a bit out of it with this um i guess i'll go first because this was my pick for a bad one oh, and sure. i mean 1999 it's um a year as we mentioned of plenty of great movies um but the bad ones are either extremely obvious or ones that have been completely forgotten i would argue this is more in the completely forgotten camp <laughs> In terms mm-hmm. of, I don't think many people, even to, in terms of Arnold Schwarzenegger's bad movies, point to this one. And I just remember seeing this when I was younger, just feeling very confused by it, especially because of someone who had grown up, like, re-watching some of those older Arnold Schwarzenegger movies that I wasn't as, you know, cognizant for when they were out or even alive. But this one, I just remember watching on cable at some point, just feeling like, wow, this one is just, I can see why people don't talk about it at all. And now, especially, it comes to light because it feels like two completely different movies, Part of it feels like the traditional Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, with like big over-the-top action set pieces, and then part of it feels like it's trying to be almost like a Seven-style supernatural thriller. Like, I think a movie that does similar things to this and is far better is the Denzel Washington movie Fallen from the previous year. Oh my god, was that? Fallen came out in 98? 98, yes. That that seems No, I agree. I agree with that. A very underrated movie. I wouldn't mind talking about it on the show at some point. I really sure. like that movie a lot. Because there's a lot of, especially times where Peter Hyams, who, very journeyman director, did stuff like 2010, the sequel to 2001, or another underrated one, the comedy with Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal, Running Scared. That's a great movie. That's a really good movie, yeah. And this is a guy's like a very solid, proficient shooter who I think just is, does what's asked of him the best he can. And I think that's the mm-hmm. case here. It's just the problem is... It's this mix of, like I said, big over-the-top Schwarzenegger action, and then CD, like, oh, we're going down Crime Alley. Look, it looks like an early David Fincher movie. And it's like, yep, this doesn't match at all. This is so incongruous. And then the story gets stupid from there. It's a mess. We'll talk about it. But um, Lance, this is another one. Have you seen this one before? Uh, I, I had seen it before, probably a couple years after it came out. And yes, I largely forgot about it. So I kind of I see your point there about it being sort of a forgotten film. But uh, but first of all, let me ask you one question. So this came out the same year as The Matrix. Yes. Yes. And w- w- why the difference in special effects? I mean, this is like 
I don't know, man, like Sharknado versus Into the Void or something. Well, it's a, it's a lot more like a movie we previously talked about, The Haunting remake. It's very on level with those kind of bad, big special effects. Well, but they created whole new systems and things for The Matrix. Uh-huh. It's like how they did for Avatar. I mean, they create... I... You know, they don't have the technology that these guys do because these guys, while they're making this movie, literally create this technology. Well, no, and not to mention the fact that also The Matrix is actually, when you look into it, a much more low-budget movie than you would think. Yeah, oh, yeah, time. absolutely. And then also, it's a lot more combination of CG and practical. As opposed to, I think the problem here is they have the money, they just don't mm-hmm. have the discipline is the problem. Ah, good way to put it. Oh, hey, let's, um, we have all this technology, let's make a big CG demon for the end of the movie. It's like, oh, it looks like shit, but it's big. Exactly, and I mean, let's face it, sometimes not having the money works out in the best. I mean, because you have to get crafty, you have to come up with ways to make it look as best as you can. And oftentimes, it looks better than when people just throw $100 million at a CG that it will look dated, Mm -hmm. usually within a year or two. Yeah, which was, I'm, I'm sure, the case with this one. Oh, it had to have been. <laughs> there were some decent stars in the movie, you know, with Gabriel Byrne, Rod Steiger showing up. Seems like they could have done more with this. Maybe, maybe you're right, Thomas. It was just totally miscast. But then again, could you really picture anyone other than Arnold literally kicking the devil's ass? I mean, that was so fucking silly. <laughs> I'd argue so, that Gabriel Byrne is a good choice for Satan. I yeah. just would say that this portrayal of Satan was not a good choice for Gabriel Byrne. It, it was pretty bad. When you, when you think he appeared in his apartment, he could just snap his fingers and do anything, and yet he allows Arnold to hold by his fingertips and pull him down and push him, uh, throw him off the building into a car. It's like it made no sense, man. Well, yeah, that's the problem. It's just that this movie like has, like with Gabriel Byrne, is a great example, where it's like on paper, mm-hmm. the idea is this version of Satan is like sort of nonchalant, but in a way that's like, oh, he just passes off human quarrels that's just beneath him. That's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to give him kind of like what I think they're going for. The problem is instead of making it sort of like a very clear theatrical nonchalance trying to like clearly entice while seeming disinterested, it feels more like he's kind of just shrugging his whole performance like, I mean, whatever. He's just a horn dog. Well, Well, that's true. There's that. But even like when he's even when he's trying to quote unquote like romance people, he's just like, hey, well, fuck, I guess. Like, come on, me, right, right, and exactly. Was, What's up? Was it just me, or did it seem like his his accent changed throughout the movie? Like that's something that happens to Gabriel Byrne all the time. Yeah, he was like super, he was super Bronx, New York, you know, and then all of a sudden he was Irish, you know. That's and Gabriel he, Byrne in every movie, if, even in Hereditary. As much as I love Hereditary, that is also uh-huh. the case at certain points in Hereditary. Usual yeah, suspects, it's all over the place, right? But yeah, he he just has such a thick Irish accent, he cannot mm-hmm. cover it. Uh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean this this movie was silly, man. I mean, was, was it based on a video game or a graphic no. novel or something? You would think it, so. No. It's one of those like scripts that went around Hollywood and was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, every this is a, a big hot script. Everyone wants to do it. Let's like make, make it happen. And then I'm sure it got very studio right. noted. Like particularly, you mentioned Rod Steiger. That whole mm-hmm. fucking sequence where they take him and Robin Tunney down into the basement. It's like, <laughs> let me explain everything about all of this. Here's a girl, woman who right. never spoke in tongues before, and now she does. Oh, look, actually, it's not 666. It's 999, as in 1999, the year of his return. <laughs> Sometimes, in dreams, numbers appear upside down and backwards. Oh, you're right. basing all of this on a sometimes? In dreams. What mm-hmm. in the shit... 
But now the problem is, dude, th- this movie came right at, right on the heels of like Stigmata was a big hit, mm-hmm. which is surprising to me. But that's a whole other episode. Uh, but there was a lot, like there was like two or three big all sudden demon movies and the devil and you know all this stuff came out so then of course they're going to release this one like you said the script's floating around for a while so there's like oh my god we got to make it we got to make it well let's get post heart attack arnold oh no yeah (laughs) and let's just go we'll just build it around arnold schwarzenegger's name only (laughs) and let's give him kevin pollack as his tough partner on paper that's not a bad idea especially kevin pollack at this time in Mm -hmm. practice it it feels like such a paycheck role for kevin pollack (laughs) right because every time yeah. he says something, it just he he's just like once again nonchalantly just saying like, "Oh, hey, look, here's a uh, R-rated uh, quirky sidekick line that I'm saying." Like right. it's, it's just <laughs> you know, it feels like a bit, one of his impressions that's just not that good. <laughs> that's what it just feels yeah. like. Like when he tosses off an impression, but this is for a whole fucking part in a movie. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a hundred percent accurate. A hundred percent. And the thing is, they did have some cool ideas in this movie. I really do think they did. Mm-hmm. I did. really liked. Oh, wait, you mean to oh, the... tying it tying it in with 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 New Year's Eve nineteen ninety nine? How huh? the Y two K stuff? Yeah, no, not yeah, that. Yeah, Adam, real, real, yeah. real smart well, stuff well, there. Hey, excuse me. This has nothing to do with New Year's Eve. This has everything to do with the exact calendar that was pointing to this point. <laughs> Right when the comet or whatever the shit when the stars align that that's another thing just like all of the like trappings around how the story takes place is all just like hey how how do you know that this is going to happen well it's all yeah it's all it's all either happenstance or just like oh no we figured that out ages ago it's the equivalent of like the Simpsons thing of like a wizard did it like that's all it is (laughs) no it's a hundred percent accurate but no what I was getting at like I do I do like the scene where they go down Uh in the basement. At the church, and there's the woman with stigmata, and there's yeah. other possessed people and all that. I, to me, that stuff kind of is cool. Possession movies always do kind of creep me out when they're done right. This, however, is obviously not one of them. But uh, especially seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to resist Kiss Robin Tooney. Oh, good the fuck. Anyways. Oh, wow. <laughs> Cringy. Cringeworthy. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> but there was some cool ideas. Like, that was cool. The whole idea of the mm-hmm. priest who was excommunicated trying to kill either the mother of the Antichrist or who he thought was the devil himself. Kind of cool. Would have totally worked in a movie where this is just a crazed priest and this person isn't really the devil and he's trying to kill him and stuff. Make it like a thriller mystery. Kind of cool. But Arnold Schwarzenegger and Kevin Pollack and then Gabriel Byrne, the first time you see him, what he does to that guy's wife, the guy's like, hey, buddy. He just shoots him a look. He's like, oh, all right, yeah, proceed. You're like, get the fuck out of here with this. (laughs) Just this whole movie. It, It just... Arnold trying to emote. Why was the entire city after him, literally? I mean, it seemed like you had had all the Catholics after him on one side and all the Satanists after him on the other. And, of course, he's Arnold, so he fucking kicks all their ass one hand tied behind his back. (laughs) (laughs) They they, they never quite make any of those rules clear about, like, so is Gabriel Byrne either, like, possessing these people or has a weird hypnotic, like, trance over these people? I think they're part of a cult. I guess, but... Was it? It's just, it's not at all clear. And I I think... Another big thing about this, like, you, you mentioned, Lance, even, like, oh, building this off of, like, 1999. In theory, like, you know, it's 1999. There's a lot of, like, conspiracy theories about, like, oh, it's the turn of the century. Something horrible's going to happen. The new millennium's mm-hmm. full of chaos. Sure. They they only had that cool idea of, like, oh, man, Satan's coming out for New Year's Eve. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be giant. It's going to be massive scale. Yeah, but what about the story? Fuck it. Yeah, yeah right. We'll exactly. think about that ah, don't worry about that. <laughs> the silliest stuff to me comes when they do try and go really for Schwarzenegger over the top action. Like mm-hmm, even you mentioned sure. that 
that the helicopter scene, scene. The helicopter scene, which I think in a vacuum is kind of fun as an action scene. Right. Yes. I think that's kind of like a silly, fun, enjoyable, and they like say true lives. Um, that would be more appropriate as opposed to like here. It just feels really incongruous and weird. Or anytime Arnold does his fucking stupid jumps in this movie, I laugh so much. He like, he jumps a lot. Like especially the bit where like he's seeing like the fancy of like oh look it's my daughter and my wife and oh they're still here and I can like see them and then the robbers come in and it's like. Bah! He jumps over the couch. Jumps right through the robbers. <laughs> oh, God damn it, no! And he, no! Shoot, and he shoots them, and it's like, you know this is like a Christmas Carol thing, right, where they can't see you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for where I was on the other side of that wall at the time. Like, it was in the apartment next to where he shoot oh, no the, doubt. the sedation wall. Someone's just watching. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. God, what Collateral the damage. Yeah. <laughs> Another hilarious sequence in which big buff Arnold Schwarzenegger is tasked to fight what I think is a demonic uh, Miriam Margulies. Oh my god, that's the funniest thing. Oh my god, I was dying. <laughs> Miriam Margulies, you would recognize, like, oh, it's that lovely British or Scottish lady, you know, just seeing her in other mm-hmm. things. And it's like, hey, how about she right. has a fight scene with Arnold? <laughs> she oh, kicks yeah. the <laughs> shit out of him. Yes, she does. <laughs> She's the only one in the movie that can hold her own against Arnold. Not even Satan. It's this lady. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, by the way, you have Udo Kier. Just let Udo Kier. Oh, yes, Udo Kier pops Just up. Let him be the Actually, that's the thing. They did offer it to him, but he even said, I don't know if you want to have two German accented people as like your like good and bad guys for the whole movie. No, Udo Kier. That's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, he's not covering that accent. No, yeah. I mean, no, he disguised no. it so well in other movies. Yeah, all the time. Remember sure. Suspiria? That was so great yeah. when he covered it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or when he's Ronald Camp, the billionaire at Ace Ventura. Of course, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he's clearly, he's from Miami. <laughs> no, yeah, and uh, it's also, it is very much a waste of Udo Kier, where it's just like, he has that weird rattlesnake thing over the baby, some weird ritual at the uh, beginning, and then mm-hmm. he's like, becomes what is literally a cuck. Where it's just like, hey, here's my wife. You want to fuck her? <laughs> my daughter. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally not like tight. his head punched off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoever knew the devil was such a pimp, right? I, I mean, in other yeah. circumstances, sure. <laughs> just not necessarily these. And also, we got to talk about how over edited some of these action sequences are. Like, particularly yep. the subway one, where oh, it's just constant, like, get a burn on the track. Five seconds later, Arnold's on the track getting pulled up. Five seconds later, Robin Tunney's pulling him up. Five seconds later, okay. there's Gabriel Byrne. It's just endless. How Gabriel Byrne's on the track again. Oh, no, no, no. Keep going. You're going to hit him. Gabriel Byrne's on the track again. There's someone on the tracks. I better slow down. Ram him. Gabriel Byrne on the track again. <laughs> Ram him. Like, oh my god! Though that's another that's another funny bit. It's just that close up Gabriel Byrne with the lights on, just like <laughs> eep, and then he gets yeah, fucking run over. <laughs> That's the thing is, there are very fun, unintentionally funny bad moments like in this hold, movie. Yes, that, that well, I, will, I will agree with. I mean, this movie was. I mean, I will have to say, I had. I hate to t- say this, Adam. Sorry, man, but I had oh. more fun watching this than Ghost Dog. <laughs> Just because no, okay, so fucking bad, good. it was good, man. Oh, but uh, they did show the Twin Towers a lot. I kind of got a creepy vibe every time I saw that. That was kind of. I mean, now in retrospect, obviously there was nothing intended there, but. I don't know, it just kind of had a had a creepy feel in retrospect. That was more irksome when you watch movies in 2002 that couldn't digitally erase it. 
Yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, go, end of days, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's here's a big question that, um, in terms of Schwarzenegger's filmography, is this the worst or one of the worst? He's uh, done some bad. He's done some bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's this done was a lot young... of bad stuff. Remember was... Hercules? Hercules in New York. <laughs> oh, Jingle All the Way. Junior might be the worst, uh, but like Raw Deal was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Red Heat's bad. I mean, he's been in a lot of shit movies. This is definitely probably in the bot. Like, say we take twenty of them. This is in the bottom mm-hmm. ten easily. But I don't think it's the worst. No. I will. I will say this: If you guys ever want to see a good version of this exact movie, have you ever heard of the Spanish film called El Dia de la Bestia, The Day of the Beast? No. no. Uh, check it out. It's really cool, man. It's a super cult movie that we watched. Uh, our one of our one of our listeners, uh, Lars from Denmark, told us to recommend that we check it out for our Spanish horror episode that we did. Yeah. And it's basically the same exact plotline except that you've got a a failed catholic priest teaming up with a like a heavy a heavy metal death metal fan it's so unintentionally funny but it's completely over the top and it's done extremely well and it deals with this same exact issue where it's like you know do we save or do we kill you know the the chick who's gonna bear the the antichrist i would say it's a it's a much more fun version of this movie or or even honestly in terms of just arnold acting in a more believable way of sort of like disheveled and having a lot of regret about his life and all this other stuff. I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but watching this gave me a lot more respect for later in his life he would do something like a Maggie. Which I think, mm-hmm. regardless of like my overall feelings about that movie, I think that is actually a genuinely really good performance from him. Trying to do a lot of similar stuff and not doing nearly as good a job here, obviously, compared to then. Yeah, he was definitely still reeling from the uh, from the heart attack surgery here, I think. Yeah. It feels it's it's less even just that, but it's also like this is around like when he was really phasing out of being like the big action star. Because even after yeah, this, like it's true. what like six day and collateral damage, and then he's governor, right? Mm-hmm, this right. is sort of in that phase of his career where he just kind of seems like he doesn't necessarily want to be that guy anymore. And also, he's had a series of mm-hmm. like disappointing movies that have just kind of downgrade him to this specific point where it feels like his heart just isn't in it as much oh jeez! Oh, i didn't intend to do that i realized and i feel like an well, asshole lance's comment about the twin towers and now that one good <laughs> this oh. is shock humor <laughs> <laughs> to rephrase maybe he didn't feel as passionate about this one you're okay. right his heart wasn't in it <laughs> no. Oh man, Adam said that. What an asshole! I'm gonna not edit this at all, right? So that he, he said that first. He didn't feel the passion of the Antichrist. No, uh, no, he did okay. not. No. Uh, <laughs> all right. But the, Stop it. All right. At that this point, I think it's time to transition into final thoughts. Then Lance, as our guest, your final thoughts and end of days. It was fun to watch. I have to tell you, man, it was so stupid, so over the top, so horrible. It was it was fun to watch. But I got to tell you, that final scene there, like I say, where who could not have predicted that when Kevin Pollack came back, he was going to be he was going to turn on him. It's like, OK, yeah, he hurts, hit, shoots him or whatever, and he's injured. And it's like, OK, well, oh, you're not the devil. OK, good. We all good. And then uh, all of a sudden, of course, he turns on him when he gets Robin Tunney in the car, like just like everybody else. He has a price. And then you got, like I say, all the religious Catholic nutbags coming after him. From one side, you get the fucking cult from a second side, and then all the Satanists from a third side or whatever. I don't know who the fuck all these people are. It's like literally the entire city of New York versus Arnold. And, of course, Arnold, 
you know, is, is staying on top of him through the whole thing. It's just the craziest thing ever. I don't know. The only way he can lose is he takes himself out. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I pretty much agree with most of what Lance said. It's just a really stupid movie. It's just nonsensical, stereotypical garbage. Just with new, just even dumber shit thrown in. The 666-999 thing is one of the worst things. And that old lady beating Arnold's fucking ass with a piano. Or whatever the hell she was pushing against him. It was like the best thing I've ever seen. Uh, But other than that, it's just a stupid movie. I wouldn't even put this in like the stupid so stupid they're fun to watch arnold movies either i just think this is a skip it and i think you'll be fine yeah if you want more in that range uh the masterpiece of that is commando without without a doubt is a masterpiece a good movie though well i mean i like it 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 skirts the line between genuinely fun 80s action movie and so Mm -hmm. hysterically over the top bad that it's incredibly enjoyable movie I think that's the thing is that one has more yeah. like, consistency in that way. As opposed to this movie, there are moments, like I said, anytime he fucking jumps, um, any anytime um, they have Gabriel Byrne become a fucking Looney Tunes character, um, mm-hmm. um, amongst several other things. It's just a problem of, like, it's so much more self-serious and dark and dreary in a way that just feels like it's more of a chore to watch at several points. The funny bad moments at least are like, it makes you kind of tolerate it to a point where I agree. It's not definitely the worst of his career necessarily, but at the same time, um, it's very indicative of a lot of the bad blockbuster schlock that came out at this time. That makes it one of the few movies from this year. That's not well remembered, but at the same time Mm -hmm. feels totally of the time. Like this is a perfect time capsule of like, this is what somebody in 1999, a studio executive would have thought was dope. And then, prospect like oh no wait it's it's fucking bad and dumb and everybody hates it yep <laughs> <laughs> on that note uh that's the end of our discussion of our two movies but uh before we go and do our picking for the end of uh for next week's show at the very end of our show so stay tuned for that um over at dedv pod which is our facebook and twitter page we ask you every monday uh for our shows about like hey what are your uh, favorite and least favorite things related to a topic and adam uh we got a shit ton Holy of comments shit. I thought the wrestling episode was our most. This is out of control. Yes, there's a lot. And I apologize for anybody who is listening and I didn't read your whole comment just because there's a lot. (laughs) But uh, to segue into that then, uh, first up, uh, a former guest, uh, Shaquille Lambert, at Shaq Excellence on Twitter says, Best, The Matrix, second favorite of all time. Idle Hands, extremely underrated. Toy Story 2. And I'll argue House on the Haunted Hill is super fun. Um, worst, uh, Inspector Gadget, Wild Wild West, Virus and the Haunting. At least Wild Wild West is partially salvaged by a great soundtrack. Uh, James Rodriguez says, 1999 was the release of one of my favorite films of all time, Magnolia. A three-hour runtime is necessary to understand and sympathize with each one of the large cast, and it helps that it flies by. Uh, I gladly would have stayed with them for another hour, at least. Uh, Ravnus, uh, is also an underrated one. Um, it deserves a mention because it's a frontier-set horror comedy about cannibalism. Uh, unfortunately, this year also gave us Jean de Bont's The Haunting, uh, a film so devoid of its own identity, I keep mixing it up with Scary Movie 2, which was a better adaptation of the original film. 
Jonathan Habdemichael says, um, it would be easy to bring up films like The Matrix, Fight Club, and The Iron Giant, but 1999 has so many great movies that can be overlooked. Uh, October Sky exceeds the confines of a high school history class movie, thanks to a young Jake Gyllenhaal. Ten Things I Hate About You is the best late 90s, early 2000s modern Shakespeare remake by hitting the lottery with Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Larisa Olniak. Um, and The Talented Mr. Ripley is one of the best films I have seen that no one brings up anymore. Um, as for the worst of 99, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo is patient zero for all the bad Happy Madison movies that have been infecting theaters and streaming platforms the last 20 years. Christian Alvarez says, Omitting a lot of the obvious choices, one of my favorites from 1999 is Stir of Echoes. Such an interesting thriller that unfortunately got overshadowed by The Sixth Sense, but it is definitely worth seeing. Uh, one of the worst is the Inspector Gadget movie, probably Disney's worst live-action remake of any property, and easily one of the worst movies of that particular year. Shane Steele says, Best, Man on the Moon or Iron Giant. Worst, Phantom Menace, that ha- House on the Haunted Hill remake, Baby Geniuses, that Haunting remake, Banner Year for 60s horror remakes that weren't that good. Uh, Brian Kane says, Omitting obvious critical darlings, I love schlock, and therefore I love The Mummy. I liken Brendan Fraser to Dwayne Johnson today, a charismatic Ooh. presence who elevates trash. Galaxy Quest is also a personal favorite as well. Uh, episode 1 shouldn't come to us as a surprise for worst. Uh, Matt Kozlowski says, Mystery Man doesn't get enough credit. Um, worst would have to be baby geniuses. I mean, how can they be geniuses if they're babies? Uh, honorable guilty pleasure is end of days because how of how what the fuck it is and still love the church scene at the end. Uh, Mason Daniel says Magnolia, The Phantom Menace, Rosetta, uh, Beau Traviel, and The Iron Giant. Worst American Beauty at Boondock Saints. Um, Sean Vanderloo says Galaxy Quest is one of my favorites. Least favorite would be Stigmata, and he's from the Rusted Robot podcast of the ESO Network. Uh, Corey Reese Kalen says, uh, least favorite, Notting Hill and End of Days. Favorite, uh, House on Haunted Hill, the remake, and Mystery Alaska. Uh, uh, Joseph Stephen Heath says, uh, Galaxy Quest, Mystery Men, Dogma, The Mummy, The Iron Giant, Office Space, Green Mile, and Matrix for Best. Worst Election. Mike Faber says, wow, 1999. Favorites, Dogma, The Matrix, Iron Giant, The Mummy, Toy Story 2, The Green Mile, Mystery Alaska, Austin Powers, The Spy That Shagged Me. Uh, least favorite has to be the Star Wars The Phantom Menace or Sleepy Hollow. Dan Clink from the Thunder Talk podcast also of this network uh, says favorite Star Wars Episode 1 The Phantom Menace. Least favorite Star Wars Episode 1 The Phantom Menace. I never felt so blessed, cursed, and confused as I was with this movie. Greg, who is at Invisibay, says I really like Eyes Wide Shut, Election, Magnolia, Ten Things I Hate About You, Notting Hill, and Office Space. Uh, the Woods and Three Kings are alright as well. Um, and then this is at Neo Nequi, um, over at, on Twitter, says, uh, best Any Given Sunday, Fight Club, The Matrix, Life, and Boys Don't Cry, worst, uh, The King and I, Girl Interrupted, and Anything by Brendan Fraser, uh, Pepe Silva at Cosgrove 300 says, the best film 1999 is The Blair Witch Project, and Joel Copling at Real Joel Copling on Twitter says, Favorite American Beauty, now unpopular, a choice of course, uh, but I stand by its no perfect performances and balance of tragedy and irony. Least favorite, Zombie versus Mardi Gras, uh, which if somehow tracked down and oh. discovered would permanently redefine the definition of a bad movie. I'm tired. Talk. <laughs> we gotta find that one, by the way. Zombie versus Mardi Gras. Oh dear. And I can't believe Baby Genius has got mentioned more than once. Yeah, right. What the fuck? I literally I- forgot about that movie. Um, I remember seeing that in the theater, 
because once again, I saw kids' movies at that time. Sure. In the theater a lot. Um, And uh, even as a kid, I'm just like, what, what, what even is this? Um, and you know what? A lot of people brought up, obviously, Star Wars Episode One, and that yeah. kind of feels like that was one of those ones where I looked at, like, I could do this, but I'm yeah. like, it's, it feels too it's obvious. An easy one. Yeah. Plus, an easy one. not to mention, I think in hindsight, I'll at least give Episode One that it has influenced a lot of like big blockbuster culture for better or worse, a lot more than people give it credit for. Oh no, you yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd argue Star Wars Episode One was the next big event after maybe the 89 Batman. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. I mean, I Star Wars Episode that. 1 was huge. It was fucking everywhere. Darth Maul's face was on everything. Yeah. I, I mean, I do remember that. I was like, I was, yeah. I was the perfect age to see Episode 1 because mm-hmm. I was a child who didn't know much better. Um, ah, as I was with the 89 Batman. Holy shit. We have a huge age difference. I'm quitting the show. <laughs> You know what? Also, in retrospect, that is not the worst prequel. I would still argue Attack of the Clones is worse. Uh, yeah, I, I think agree. Attack of the Clones. Yeah, Attack, I agree too. Attack of the Clones just not only suffers from being a prequel where George Lucas just said, "I'm going to do whatever the hell I want." It's a definition of a second movie in the trilogy where it literally exists only to push a story. Oh, and also, the, I think the romance stuff with Padme and Anakin—it's oh, laughably bad. That is all the worst stuff of the prequel trilogy. Uh-huh. Maybe Jar Jar, but that's right up there. But what about these other movies everybody talked about, guys? Holy <laughs> shit, you want to really that stuff? Because I can't remember all of them. Well, fuck. I, no, you mentioned so many. I'd, I'd forgotten about, like, Eyes Wide Shut, for example. I completely mm-hmm. forgot about that. And Magnolia? Yes. That's fucking two fantastic films. Man, it was, uh, whew. It, it, was, it was just a fucking phenomenal year. I don't know what was going on, but there was something in the water for sure. I agree, and I definitely agree with the uh, the Brendan Fraser mummy comment, too. I oh, love yeah, it. great movie. I love such a fun, fun movie. movie. Yep. Yes, though to say that someone mentioned like Brendan Fraser in general, this was also the year of Deadly Do-Right, which I also remember seeing in a theater. Oh, no. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> what about you? But no, I mean, there was a lot of good picks in there. I, I like that we didn't get a lot of the Matrix, Fight Club, even though it was mentioned a lot, but a lot of it was in terms of yeah. I, I, those are the obvious ones. Mm. I personally cannot stand 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, I love it, man. I, I love it. That's when I knew Heath Ledger could actually act. Hold on. Let me add this to the journal. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, I don't... I, I'm I'm kind of more in the middle of it. I, I think it's mm-hmm. a cute movie, necessarily, but I think I agree. It's so carried by that entire cast. It's like, just watching it, you see so many great talents who would like to rise up and mm-hmm. just be kind of just getting started and i'd, I'd forgotten about boys don't cry they oh mentioned that God. that's a great great fucking so movie, depressing man. it's a great movie but yeah it's beautiful though man it, it's what a year what a year i really agree with those who said election is one of the good ones i love election mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite yes. sort of like satiric comedies of that time i fucking hate election <sighs> it's got matthew broderick in it and he's another one he's another one Oh, come on. Now, don't compare it to Godzilla. No, no, no. Matthew Broderick's like another Dennis Quaid or John Travolta for me. Some about him, I just want to punch him in the fucking but, face. But I think what's interesting about that movie is I think it intentionally plays into that thing that a lot of movies that he's in don't play into. About just like yeah. how he, because he's very much playing a dude who's like initially like, oh, I'm like the nice teacher everybody loves. Like, mm-hmm. dude, you're really an asshole. <laughs> yes. But in a way that I find really interesting and compelling. I, I think that's what really works about that movie. And I mean, especially so many of these movies that weren't really appreciated in their time that have gone on to be so beloved. Like I mentioned, I, The Iron Giant wasn't a big hit. 
Um, mm-hmm. Galaxy Quest wasn't a big hit. That's when I do remember seeing in theaters too. And it's so I love great. Galaxy Quest. I Such, love Galaxy yeah. Quest. Great Such rewatchability. I almost yes. chose that for this show for this episode. Yep. I was close. Oh yep. man, I would have loved it. <laughs> well, sorry, we can't cater to you next time. Next I'll check time with your fucking person, personal. God, I'm so mad I can't even speak. <laughs> next time I get a hold of you and ask him, what are you, Lance? What should I pick for my show? Well, I'm glad you're going to do that, man. I appreciate I, it. No, I really will. I really will. I mean, I'm just not going to pick anything you tell me. Um, to, to get back to some of these things, I do also want to say um, I don't love mm-hmm. Mag- something like Magnolia, but I think that's notable just because it may be the best performance of Tom Cruise's entire career. I'd say that's pretty much without question, honestly. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge Magnolia fan either. I do prefer it over Eyes Wide Shut, which came out the same year. Eyes Wide Shut, I don't know, it's just... It's beautiful to look at. It's beautifully filmed. It's just so bloated. It's bloated to the point, and then, but nothing really happens. So it's just you're sitting there with three and a half hours with people you hate, basically. (laughs) Well, what I think is so interesting about that movie is, especially in context of sort of that particular time, it's a movie that's about somebody like Tom Cruise who thinks he's a total hotshot being completely demoralized in terms of like what he thinks his like particular sexual habits are and how particularly like you know sort of um aggro he might be how that completely falls in on itself and then it's all about him trying to rediscover that again only to run into a sex cult (laughs) uh i I find that interesting if nothing else i think that movie also suffered a lot from oh man it's stanley cooper died and then this this is his last movie ever a lot of that hype i think is what hurt that movie considering i can see that Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, sorry if I missed it, so cut it if I did. But the fact that it's, you know, Tom Cruise and Cole Kim and husband and wife on screen together. Who cares? They obviously don't like each other. Yeah, no no chemistry. Well, that's what makes it so interesting in retrospect Mm -hmm. is really just like looking at it from the perspective like, oh, this is right before their marriage fell apart. That makes it even more interesting, honestly, (laughs) which is the context I saw it in like ages later. But... Um, yeah, thank you for all that feedback. It was so much. We really appreciate oh God. all of you <laughs> mentioning all these movies. Um, but uh, we also want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. Uh, listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And of course, we want to thank Mr. Lance Langford for coming on the show. Lance, the horror returns, right? Yes, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. In fact, I think you've got a uh, turn coming up on our show. I keep trying to get Adam on, but every time I schedule him, the motherfucker like cancels at the last minute. First of all, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I did, the last few times I wasn't able to be on. First time, you canceled and had to reschedule. Oh, did I? I don't yeah, remember. Like, well, I can't do Saturday. Can we do Sunday? Like, okay. Ah, I can't do Sunday. So, you know, whatever. Kiss my balls. Uh, but no, the second time <laughs> I did cancel on you guys, and I do definitely want to get on. It's just, you know, life uh, finds life a way. Life happens. <laughs> yes, it does find a way. Um, yeah, I was recently on the Midsummer episode, and I think I'm scheduled to be on It Chapter 2 tentatively. Um, I, I believe so. I Maybe Adam like... can show up too. I, hey, I'm going to see them shits opening night, so I can be on that one. Maybe. Who knows? That's the, ticket. that's the fun of the horror returns. So, you know, who might pop up? You never know. Might, who might be a party right. for like, one of the host's <laughs> wife. You have no idea what's going to happen. Listen to Adam on the Pet Cemetery episode. There's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, boy. On that, but yeah. You can hear me amongst the background noise. I'm there. <laughs> yes, you're there somewhere. He's at the party. Um, But, uh, yes, yeah, so this 
please make sure to download the, the Horror Returns, wherever podcasts are available. Everywhere podcasts are found. Yes, yes. And uh, you can also find us at DEDB Pod for Facebook and Twitter. Like we mentioned on Mondays, we usually put out the feeler about our topics. Um, and then you can also email us at double bill, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Or you can also follow me on my own um, Twitter account at Not the Who's Tommy, where I post my musings. I also do writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com, where I post reviews and stuff. And uh, also, I just recently started writing for a site called TrueSuperheroFans.com, which is a satire site for superhero news. Oh no, <laughs> I got right there. Right, where I write articles about stuff like uh, Jennifer Lawrence wonders how to waste her career in a post. Fox X-Men World, uh, that was the first one I put up, among several others. I'm writing constantly for that silly site, but it's a lot of fun doing it. Um, it's hosted by uh, Sarah Sorrentino of Sequels, who also um, was a previous guest on our show. A lot of fun, check out all the writings there. And by the way, um, as you're listening to this right now, as it's being released, um, we are only a few weeks away from Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Labor Day weekend, August uh, 30th through September 2nd, and... I will be there once again doing some panels for the horror track and the urban fantasy track. Uh, to, as a reminder, my schedule for that on Friday at 7 p.m., I'll be doing Apocalypse Now, a Good Omens fan panel, which will be in the Chastain room at the Western Hotel. Um, then on Friday at 10 p.m., I'll be doing the Blair Witch Legacy panel, a 1999 movie, interestingly enough, of course. Oh! Yes. Um, and that'll be in the Peachtree room at the Western Hotel. Um, and then I'll be doing the Horror of Scooby-Doo panel at, on Saturday at 1 p.m. in the Peachtree uh, room at the Western Hotel. And they'll be doing Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, talking about the classic vampire film. Uh, that'll be Saturday at 8.30 p.m. in that Peachtree room at the Western. Followed by a screening of the film with a live score by Valentine Wolf, which uh, I've heard their version of uh, the score for Dr. Caligari that they did is very great. So I'm yep. quite excited for that. And uh, then my last panel will be a What We Do in the Shadows fan panel Sunday at 1 p.m. in the Peachtree Room at the Western Hotel. So um, go ahead and uh, please come. If you're a big fan of the show, please come tell us. I would really appreciate that. I'd love to rub that in Adam's face that these great people were there and he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Thomas, you know, I'm going to ask for the people who might have attention spans like I do. How long do these panels last, typically? Oh, about an hour. Obviously, the one for Nosferatu will be a bit longer if you stay for the screening. Yeah, That'll happen yeah. at, like, 9.30 yeah, yeah. to afterward. Um, But it's, it'll be a lot of fun. An hour. It's not bad. An hour's good. An hour's good. You're kind of a big deal. <laughs> they, they tell me that all the time. <laughs> And you can find Adam um, beneath a church planning the next resurrection of Satan, I believe, yes? Yeah, I believe that. Or something. I don't know what the (laughs) hell is going on down there. I I actually live there, guys. Oh, you just live in hell? How's the the internet quality there? (laughs) The Wi-Fi's terrible. The Wi-Fi's terrible. Despite Gabriel Byrne's promises, the Wi-Fi sucks. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Gabriel Byrne came to him just like, you could have great Wi-Fi. Sold! Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, in. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Take my wife and my child. Sure, it doesn't matter. Come on. Uh, but uh, to, for more hilarious content like that, make sure to find us wherever podcasts are also available on like iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean, of course, or YouTube, we're also on all those places, Spotify. Or the ESO Network homepage. Of course, yes, you can find us in that feed as well, along with our Podbean feed. Of course, it's a brand new world that we live in. Isn't it exciting? Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah. Yes. Uh, exciting and new. It's exciting and new, yes. Uh, but speaking of new, um, we will have a new episode next week. And uh, for those of you who might be new to the show in general, uh, at the end of every episode is when we do our picking for the next week. And uh, so, Adam, you have two bad movies and I have two good movies. For what topic are we randomly doing? Japanese cinema? Yes, because uh, it's dog days of summer, not much is coming out to tie something to, and we figured, you know, uh, let's do foreign cinema, which we've covered corn- foreign films, but we've never really uh, devoted a whole topic to it. Correct. So yes, uh, for the those new people out there, um, each week, uh, Adam and I have either two good or bad movies, depending on what rotation we're doing. I have the two good movies this week, and Adam has the two bad movies for Japanese cinema, and uh, usually we would each pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to pick the other's choices, so we have our good and our bad feature for our double bill. But uh, when we have a guest like Lance, they go ahead and get the gun with the silencer on it and become the ghost dog to shoot whichever one. <laughs> so, Lance, for my two good choices for Japanese cinema, number between 1 and 10. Well, you know, sometimes in a dream, if you see 666 upside down, it's 999. <laughs> so let's go with 9 for this one. Okay, um, at number 10, I'm so glad we're covering this, um, it's one of my most underrated movies of this recent decade. It's a loving tribute to filmmaking through the lens of the Yakuza. It is a movie called Why Don't You Play in Hell? Ah, I've heard of this one. Same thing, never seen it, I've heard of it. All right. so much, I'm so glad we're doing this. Um, (laughs) And then at number two, I actually had an anime film. Uh, that was released recently, um, a couple years ago, called Your Name, which is a delightful sci-fi mm. comedy kind of premise. Of uh, also never seen it. It's uh, about two um, school-age kids that end up uh, switching bodies, and one's a boy, one's a girl. Oh, it's very cute, and then it gets really fucked up actually after that. It's interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah, so and now for your two bad choices, Lance, the number between one and ten. Let's turn that nine around to a six. Okay, at number four, I got Vampire Girl vs. Frankenstein Girl. Oh, that sounds awesome. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. (laughs) And at number ten, I have Robo Geisha. (laughs) You can't go wrong either way. I just went as crazy as I could possibly go. Well, this will be very interesting. Uh, Yakuza Filmmakers and... Was it Frankenstein Girl versus Werewolf Girl? <laughs> Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl. Oh, I apologize. I, I, yeah, come on, man. Get it together. <laughs> of course, yes. Uh, we'll have all that sorted out next week. But Lance, thanks again for the picking. And uh, on that note, guys, uh, we got to get out of here and party like it's 1999. <laughs> Long live the giant condor! has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. <laughs>